Heavenly Father, we come before you once again and ask for your blessings upon this service that we may study and learn from your word, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, that you would give us direction that we could live for you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, John chapter 16. And if you would like an outline there, Brother Mike has a stack of them. He's passing out uh, the last several weeks. This is our seventh lesson. Uh, We are going through the last night discourses. This is the... the speech, the, the talk that Jesus had with his disciples as they left the upper room uh, between the celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, as we call it today, and the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, as we have gone through this, uh, our topic for tonight, actually, if you like theology, is pneumatology, study of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Books have been written on the subject, and yet Jesus covers the entire topic uh, about as thoroughly as it can be covered in just uh, a few paragraphs here at the most. And uh, we are going to try to pick up the pace just a little bit. But let's just start reading in chapter 16 of the book of John, verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And we'll stop right there and just go back and and dive into the passage here. It's interesting that one of the first things I read on this passage said the the great contradiction between uh, 16.5 and uh, 14.5 and uh, 13.36... Um, And what we need to do is just read the passage here. Jesus saying, Now I'm going my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? Now, had the disciples asked Jesus where he was going? In verse uh, 5 of chapter 14, Thomas says, Uh, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? That's somewhat of a question there. You get to chapter 13 and verse 36. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And so people who are looking for contradictions in Scripture, if you want to find them, let me tell you something. Uh, you can find them. If you want to understand your Bible without contradictions, uh, it will take a little bit of work, 
but you also must start from the uh, conclusion that there are not contradictions in your Bible, and you can go on from there. Here's a simple thing. Read the next verse. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. You see, Jesus said, I'm going away, and the disciples were more concerned with the absence of Jesus and their loneliness than they were with the fact that Jesus was going to fulfill God's plan. They were not concerned with where Jesus was going, and Jesus was trying to call attention to this. He said, listen, they already knew where he was going, did they not? He said, I, look, go back to John chapter 14, and verse number 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, so Jesus has already told them, I'm going back to my Father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back to get you. But the disciples, and and let's not be too hard on them. We would probably be in exactly the same place if we were there. If Jesus had said, listen, I've been with you about three and a half years. I'm leaving. How many of you would be upset by that fact? How many would be saying, how in the world are we going to, what are we going to do? How in the world are we going to get anything done Without Jesus here, how many of you remember the stories of Jesus? I mean, how often did he rebuke his disciples and even called them a faithless generation? He said, how long do I have to suffer uh, you guys and put up with you guys, we might say in the vernacular today? But the question that Jesus is asking here is not because... The disciples hadn't asked. It was because they weren't concerned at all with where Jesus was going to be with the Father. They were concerned with what was going to happen to them. And Jesus is explaining, you're all sad, you're upset because I said I'm leaving, verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you this, tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth, don't you think you better listen? I mean, this is going to be an important statement here, just like he told Nicodemus in chapter 3. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee. Here he says, I'm telling you the truth in spite of the fact that you're misdirected, in spite of the fact that you have sorrow in your heart because I'm leaving. He said, it is expedient for you that I... Go away. Now that word expedient is a really nice word. It means the quickest and best way to bring about something. I mean, it is usually expedient. If you are leaving New York City from Astoria, go across the George Washington Bridge. Uh, If you want to take two or three hours, try the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, it, It works. But, I mean, if you want to get out of here fast, uh, that is usually the best way. But if you live in New York City, what should you always do before you go anywhere? 
if you're driving. Get a traffic report. <laughs> because you can get in trouble. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I am not here to waste time. I'm not here with necessarily your comfort in mind. What is in my mind and what is in my heart is doing things God's way, the expedient way, the best way, the way to accomplish the goal in fulfilling God's plan, and that means I have to go. And you're upset. He's already told them. You, if you could understand that I'm going to my Father and what that means, you'd be excited about this thing, not upset. But the problem is, as we often do, we understand God through the me first filter. How does it affect me? I mean, that straight and narrow gate that Jesus said we must pass through and stay on the narrow way. Our first thought is concerned. How narrow is that way? What can, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And, and, and I'm going to be losing all of these things that I like to do when the expedient, when the truth of the matter is, there's a reason why the way is narrow. God says no to sin for one simple reason. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. And you can't tell me one sin that's ever accomplished anything good. Well, you said, but you don't understand. I mean, it was just a, a, a little white lie. Uh, well, where did it end up? That's what I want to know. Where did it take you? And the simple it, it, truth is, Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand. Get a hold of this, guys. It is good. Now, here's why it's good. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him. I don't know if your mind asks why mine works. If your mind works like my mind works, and I'm saying, okay, why can't the Holy Spirit be here at the same time Jesus is here? Has anybody else looked at that? Why did Jesus have to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come? And the simple answer to that is God planned it this way. Uh, I could give you all kinds of theological things, but nothing is deeper or more true than just God is fulfilling his plan. There are things that the Holy Spirit does because he is the Spirit of God. Whereas if Jesus were physically here on earth, it would not get done the same way. The Holy Spirit can work in the life of each and every believer all over this world, all at the same time. If Jesus were here physically, what would be the first thought of every one of our hearts and minds? To get on a plane or boat or whatever it took and go be where Jesus is. Isn't that right? Is that God's plan? Absolutely not. And so it is expedient for us. It is good for us. It is the best thing for us that Jesus goes and now he sends the comforter. And now he's going to begin to explain some of this work that the Holy Spirit is going to do. 
he says that when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to reprove the world. Now, that word reprove is a word that we do not use much in modern English. Uh, it simply means to rebuke. It, it means blame expressed to the faith. Now, face, I'm sorry, blame expressed to the face. How many of you like reproof? Good. I mean, there's something wrong with you if you like reproof. That means you like doing things wrong, and that's not the way it is. None of us like to be reproved. And yet that reproof that the Holy Spirit is bringing is not for the Christian. It is for the world. He's going to reprove the world of three things. And Jesus explains these three things. Number one, of sin. Number two, of righteousness. Number three, of judgment. The Holy Spirit is going to give blame expressed to the face to the world. Number one, of sin. Why? Well, let's read what it says. Verse 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. Now, we can look at this many different ways. The simplest application and the closest application of the work of the Holy Spirit is the day of Pentecost that will be coming up just a little over 40 days, 43 days or so, sorry, 53 days or so from this point. The day of Pentecost was coming and the work of the Holy Spirit here is going to be to reprove the world of sin. Now, how is the Holy Spirit going to reprove the world of sin on the day of Pentecost? Number one, he's going to show the truth that Jesus taught compared to the religiosity or the religious tradition that the Pharisees had been teaching. You see, they had been teaching and going over and over and over that your connection to God based, was based upon the rules that they had made. It's not much different today now, is it? You can go to how many different kinds of churches and how many different kinds of religions and they'll all give you a different set of rules, a different set of accomplishments that if you will accomplish these certain things, you will be judged righteous. And I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the list is as different as night and day. I mean, there's even religion out there that says if you kill people who don't believe what you believe, you're doing good. You know what? Jesus had already addressed that. He said, you're going to be offended in the world. Go back to chapter 16, just the first. He said, there will be people out there who think that killing Christians is doing God a service. History's full of that. But the Holy Spirit is reproving them of their sin. That's why they have to kill people is because their religion can't handle freedom, can't handle people having the ability to make a choice. And yet that's what this book is all about. Amen. Amen. 
People who truly believe the Bible believe that every person has a right to make up their own mind. It's called the right of self-determination or what we call the priesthood of the believer. The Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. You know what? There has never been a religious system that has espoused holiness and has allowed people to live more moral lives than this book called the Bible. I mean, you look at all the crazy things that people do in the name of religion. How many of you remember, uh, well, uh, you wouldn't, nobody here would remember, but if you've read, it used to be this, um, this was about 300 AD or somewhere in that neighborhood, this guy decided that it was, Uh, He needed to get away from the world so that he could live holy for God. And so he left his friends, he left his family, he abandoned everybody and went out and put a pile of rocks up about 10 feet high and sat on the rocks all by himself. And after a few months, some people came to see what he was doing. And so he decided that he would build his rock pile just a little higher and he ended up somewhere like 80 feet in the air and 3,000 or so other people had abandoned the world so that they could all be alone together serving God. That was the beginning of what we call the monastic movement, the monasteries and one of the beginnings. And some of the darkest chapters in history have been written by people who have tried to live holy by escaping the world. That's not Jesus' plan. He's going to deal with that in the next chapter. We have people who say you shouldn't eat and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and and live on super strict diets and, and, and all of these things just so they can be holy. But then you find out about all the other things that they do that aren't really very holy. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit says, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to reprove the world of sin. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt had to deal with a guilty conscience? Maybe we could just put it there. Has anybody else had to ever deal with a guilty conscience? You ever wonder where that came from? If you listen to the world, they tell it that that is your alter ego. That is the best part of you trying to remind you that you're doing wrong. Well, where did that best part of you go when you did the wrong thing that brought on the guilty conscience? Hello? No. It's the Holy Spirit of God reproving you of sin. Aren't you glad he was there? You see, Jesus was not kidding. He was putting out a truth, and and that truth is born through in many other passages of Scripture and we get into the book of First and Second Thessalonians and it explains that there's coming a time when that whole work of the Holy Spirit of reproving the world of sin is no longer going to be in effect. 
And that's one of the characteristics of the time period the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Why? Because the work of evil is going to be unrestrained in this world. It is going to be the most terrible chapter in all of human history. It is amazing how often, even when we tell some of the stories of some of the world's worst people, they do good things, don't they? In the 19... 20s and 30s, you know what Al Capone was best known for? His soup kitchens. How many of you knew that? He did a lot of quote-unquote charity work. Now, of course, he had a lot of dirty money he needed to get rid of. But I just wonder if some of it wasn't that guilty conscience pawing in his innards all of the evil that he had done. The Holy Spirit is going to reprove the world of sin. Those scribes and those Pharisees were so convicted of their lack of faith in God by the faith that Stephen, the deacon, exhibited in Acts chapter 6 that they had to snuff out that light. And as they did, what happened? It just spread, didn't it? You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing is of righteousness, because I go to my Father. The works of the Holy Spirit, and people get all caught up in the speaking of tongues and the different things that happened on the day of Pentecost. And yes, the Holy Spirit gave them there, and you read Acts chapter 2, It was not what goes on today. They were actual languages. The languages are listed there. People spoke uh, in these languages. And if you read some of the uh, earliest documents of what has now become the charismatic or tongue-speaking movement, uh, many of them boasted this was about the turn of the the late 1800s, early 1900s, Uh, As that movement was coming together, they boasted that it would soon be the work of the Holy Spirit that would take the gospel to every people without one day of language school. That'd be kind of embarrassing to print today now, wouldn't it? Because not one tongue-speaking person has ever gone anywhere with the message of the gospel in a language they didn't learn to tell people. But that did happen on the day of Pentecost. And because it did, the gospel message went forward. And the standard of righteousness was set up by the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of people out there that claim to be a Christ or someone like that and... um, Sung Young Moon uh, was one of the most vocal, you know. He, he claimed that Jesus appeared to him three different occasions and begged him to straighten out the things that Jesus failed at doing. Now, how many of you would believe that 
You know, that kind of foolishness is so plain when you hold it up to this book called the Bible. When you measure the life by the life of Christ. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It had a picture of the Dalai Lama on there saying that we all need to get along. And then it had coexist with all the different religious symbols on there. And then underneath it said, live by the golden rule. Jesus is the speaker of the golden rule. And I dare say, no human being outside the Lord Jesus Christ ever fully kept it. And I have yet to see any religion who proclaimed living the golden rule get anywhere near close to that of the life of a simple believer in the simple word of God under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. That is how we are supposed to live. That is how the Holy Spirit judges and reproves the world of righteousness because no matter how righteous man tries to be, still comes up so very, very short. What did the Pharisees do as they were judging Jesus' disciples? says they took notice that they had been with Jesus, Acts chapter 4. And uh, Witness sung a song, Have you been with Jesus? Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, guess what? People can tell. And it's not because of you and what you're doing, it's because of the Holy Spirit and what He is doing. And the last one is on of judgment because... The prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is going to reprove the world of judgment. And um, is there any more glaring example of what the world has tried to do through judgment than that little building that sits right across the East River about 42nd Street? It's called the United Nations. You know, that is one of the greatest things that man has ever accomplished, is it not? How many of you have ever read the history of the United Nations? Tell you what, it's one that's written in blood. The peacekeepers have killed and raped and dispossessed people of their goods And that's one of the best efforts in the history of mankind. I'll tell you what, I'll take the Holy Spirit any day. I'll take the Holy Spirit of God. I'll take the book of God. I'll take the church of Jesus Christ. By the way, not of the Latter-day Saints. But the church that simply believes and teaches the Bible. This is what it is about. It is about letting the Holy Spirit do his job. He uses the believers to reprove the world of their sin, of righteousness, of what is righteous and what is not, of what is true and what is not true in judgment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And he is doing and has done these things since the days of the New Testament. And we come to verse 12, and Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Now, how in the world were the disciples to understand everything that Jesus had said? In fact, he had just got done reproving them for having their affections more wrapped up in what was going to happen to them than in the fact that Jesus was accomplishing the will of the Father. And here's the next part of the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 13. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now, these three verses right here, are some of the most profound words in all of your Bible. It says that the Holy Spirit is coming to guide us into all truth. Now, how do most people feel that they ought to be guided into truth? Follow your heart. Isn't that it? Your, your heart will tell you what's right and what's wrong. No. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says about your heart. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God do, do that work in your life. How many of you remember the first time you tried to read the Bible honestly and truly? That was confusing, wasn't it? It was just a bunch of words on a page. How many of you read the Bible and today it makes perfect sense? In fact, you find answers to problems that you're facing and the Holy Spirit is able to bring verses to mind as you are contemplating on what to do and you are rebuked or reproved in what you would like to do and given direction by the Holy Spirit bringing the Scripture to your mind. How many of you that's really happened in your life at one time or another? Just raise your hands. Give testimony to that fact. You see, that's what it means by the fact that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. How many times have you been there and, and you just it just feels like somebody's speaking in your ear? Shut up. Just don't say it. Has anybody else ever had that happen? That's the Holy Spirit of God. What's he doing? He's reproving you. He is guiding you into all truth. If you just be quiet, if you just listen... Because the Holy Spirit is not going to teach you mysterious and strange things that no one has ever known from the days of old. He's going to tell you that which he's heard. Now, where does the Holy Spirit get what he gives us? From Jesus. Uh, where did Jesus get what he has? From the Father. Uh, have we seen that pattern lined out before in these passages? Yes, we have. As Jesus was explaining the fact that his disciples are to love one another. Why? 
Because God the Father loved the Son and the Son has loved us, therefore we take that love and we are able to love one another without expecting anything in return the same way that God loved us. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to the Son and getting the things that the Father gave Him, and He is going to teach us. And I've often put it this way, and, and, I, and I really hate to summarize things, but we would have to spend hours and hours to cover every passage that deals with this. The Holy Spirit is not going to reveal anything to you that isn't already written down. This is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is going to make you understand the things that you need to understand about the Bible. Now, what about those parts of the Bible that you don't understand? I can't wait to know what that wheel in the middle of the wheel thing in the book of Ezekiel really means. I just, that, that's just part of my, I mean, I hear that old song, wheel in the middle of the wheel, way up in the middle of the air, and and, and uh, I'm sitting here going, boy, it just, uh, this mind is not making any sense of that. But you know, one day I will know. But you know what? It would not help me live a better Christian life and more holy to have that answer today. Now, would it? In fact, if I were the only one that had it, what would I do? I'd be proud about it and tell everybody what I thought I knew that I didn't know. Amen? That's the reason God puts certain things in his book that, he, that we're not supposed to understand. Can you trust God with the parts you don't understand and get busy with the parts that you do? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you see, as the Holy Spirit does that in your life, then the Holy Spirit uses your life to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Amen? Does that, did I get it? I mean, help you understand this passage? And I, I want you to get a hold of one thing. We have just dealt with one of Every commentary you read on the book of John will tell you that these verses are some of the most difficult verses in your entire Bible to understand. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit of God and a simple application of simple Bible words, you're not going to make any sense out of this passage. In fact, one commentator said, the Greek is so abbreviated you really can't tell what it means. Do you understand what he just said? He said Jesus didn't know what he was saying and he spoke in unintelligible terms. Now that borders on blasphemy as far as I'm concerned. This is very simple when you just put it right where it is. The Holy Spirit is going to get from God. He's going to teach us what we need to know. And then in verse 16, Jesus draws their attention back to the issue that has brought so much sorrow to their hearts. He says, a little while... And ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. He said, there's going to be a little while, you're not going to see me, and then after a little while, you're going to see me again. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Now, how many of you know exactly what Jesus is speaking about? It is so simple after the fact, is it not? Jesus was going to die on the cross, he was going to be buried for three days, and then he was going to raise again from the dead. And what did he tell Mary Magdalene that morning? 
said, touch me not, for I must ascend to your God and to my God. And we look at all the things that are in the Bible, and, and the simplest understanding that we can come up with is that's when Jesus sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. And all God's people said. So let's keep moving here. we got a few minutes. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us a little while? And ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now, the disciples didn't know what you and I know. They couldn't read the Bible and find out what happened in the next chapters. And so they're, hey, guys, what in the world is he talking about? Do you know? No. Do you know? No. No. And here is Jesus here. And remember, this is happening on the way to Gethsemane. In those few moments, maybe 30 minutes or so, as they walked across the city of Jerusalem, Jesus is explaining these things. And verse 19, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves? Of that I said, a little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. We'll stop right there. Jesus is just simply saying, listen, when a little baby is born, there's an awful lot of pain and suffering involved. But you know what? It's very few people who talk about the pain and the suffering. But everybody talks about the baby now, don't they? And that's one of the things that God put in this thing so a lady could endure what she has to endure to bring a child into this world. And Jesus said, just like that, you guys are going to sorrow. You're going to be filled with pain and suffering. And surely they would as they saw Jesus die and saw his body taken down from the cross and wrapped in that linen and put in that tomb and the Roman soldiers to protect it and fearing that they themselves would suffer exactly the same fate. And all of a sudden Jesus appears on that first Sunday night. I like the way Luke put it, and they were terrified. But Jesus, and it says... Talk, talk to them, and, and it says, and they believed not yet for joy. They were so full of joy that he had conquered both life and death. Amen? Now we just got a few verses here, and we'll finish this chapter. Jesus said, these things have I, I'm sorry, verse 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, I'm sorry, verse 23, forgive me. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. 
Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. These last few words, Jesus said, listen. You're going to have the ability to talk to God in my name and get answered prayers. Now, we don't have time to go through that whole thing about answered prayers, but the simplest example, and I hope you don't mind hearing it repeated, is when you receive a check, you are authorized to go to the bank and demand the money that was printed on the check in the name of the person who signed the check, right? Now, if you go and add a bunch of zeros to that, what's going to happen to you? You get a one-way trip to Rikers. It's, it's an offense. You're not allowed to ask for more than what the paper says. By the way, Jesus said, when you ask in my name, he's saying, you ask for the things that I've told you to ask for. You ask for the things that I would ask for if I were here. And again, we go back to chapter 15. How in the world am I going to do that? Well, if you abide in Jesus as the branch does in the vine, what's going to be in you? What comes from Jesus? So what are you going to ask? The things that Jesus would ask for. Amen? And Jesus, right here, debunks... 80%, 90% of all false religion right here. How many religions teach that God the Father is some cruel, vindictive being that sits in heaven just waiting for you to step out of line so that he can destroy you with lightning bolts? I mean, how many of you used to belong to a religion that taught basically that? And that if you didn't have ways to appease God and make him happy with you, he'd never pay any attention to you. Nothing could be more blasphemous, my friend. It says the Father himself loveth you. This whole plan of Jesus' love and Jesus coming to earth and being born of the Virgin Mary and living a sinless life and suffering all of the things on the cross. Read Isaiah 53. It pleased Him to put Him to shame. It pleased the Father that Jesus should suffer in our place. Why? Because only He could accomplish in one day, what would take you and I an eternity in hell to accomplish and never get it done? That's why he offers salvation. It's because of his great love. He wants us to pray. And Jesus is dealing with all of these things. And finally, the disciples say something. They say, now we understand. Read those last few verses there. We know that you're speaking plainly and not in any proverb. We believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. Was that true? Absolutely it was. Look what verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? 
Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you get that? Jesus is saying, okay, you guys, you think you got it. But they're going to take a nap for three hours while Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Then the guards are going to come and Judas is going to come and they're going to arrest Jesus. And what are the disciples going to do? Three days later on Sunday, they're still hiding in a locked room for fear of the Jews. They think that somebody's looking for them. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees could care less about Jesus' disciples. They weren't worried about them at all. Because in their minds, if you got rid of the false prophet, all of the false disciples dispersed. The only problem was the Holy Spirit was about to kick in and reprove the Pharisees and the chief priest of their sin. Establishing the standard of Jesus' righteousness above theirs and their tradition and their religiosity. Judging them, the sinners and the offenders before God. And these simple, dumb, if we can use the term hillbilly Galileans, were the preachers of the truths that were hidden from the beginning of the world. He said, I'm telling you these things because I want you to have peace in me. I tell you, if you want peace today, you're going to find it in the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. In the world, what are you going to have? Tribulation. Don't be upset. Expect it. But don't be troubled over it because Jesus has already overcome the world. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, we've waded through some deep passages here, and we just come before you and ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister them to us and help us to understand the great truths that are here, that all of this has happened to help us be the servants of God that you want us to be. Lord, we have so much more to serve you with than even the early disciples did. Lord, we are so often convicted of how poor a job we do with all you've given us. Lord, this is all we ask that you would help us to stick to your word and to be faithful and to let you, through the Holy Spirit of God, do the work that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, just have the piano play. If you need to slip out, spend